0: Welcome in to the House of L podcast, episode 113. We get back to all the great guests that we like to share with you. I am going to allow myself, though, if you're listening to this podcast, I am going to allow myself some more opportunities to talk about things like that I feel like I need to get off my chest occasionally. So there might be some episodes like 112 again, where I'm kind of talking about all sorts of stuff and talking about what's going on in the world. My guest this week is one of the more interesting guys in our business. Let me tell you about Cisco Cotto, all right? Cisco Cotto and I, we have a similar, or we had a similar schedule that we're in the building at the same time and now bbm am and fm 105.9 fm we're on the same floor like we share the same hallway with b96 and ed lover and the folks over at jams shout out to sonic i gotta get sonic on the podcast and and uh and ross i gotta get ross on here too anyway I see Cisco all the time. Like we run into each other all the time and he's just fascinating. He's a really interesting dude. That whole thing over at BBM. I don't know how it works. Like I listen, but it takes so much discipline to do all the stuff that they do, but they do it. It's a machine, man. It is a, a, a news-making, money-generating machine. And there's Cisco in the middle of all of this, especially with the retirement of uh, Felicia Middlebrooks, who uh, I, I feel like I saw her on... I ended up going into the Score Studios because my internet was out at my house, and it happens on the South Side. I went down there, I think, on her last day, and she's so, so kind to me she always expected great things so i hope to live up to that but the entire bbm process like it moves like an ant farm sometimes like you watch it and as news is happening like everyone just kind of clicks in and and they like all know what to do and watching it is fascinating but cisco's story is you're you're not going to believe it like you're not going to believe this guy's story. There's some serendipity in here, there's some faith in here. There's some stuff that I want you to listen. Like I I don't I want to tell you, but I I want you to hear it from Cisco on how he got to this point. There's a lot of perseverance and some great advice for young journalists that want to be in the business. But you talk about a guy who's a storyteller. We got one. Enjoy. My guest this week, WBBM News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM anchor, Cisco Cotto. Give us a day
1: who are allowed in. It's really weird. And it's like a ghost town here.
0: Yeah, I, I can completely imagine that that is the case. So I've Wow. Um, well, it, it actually leads into one of the things I wanted to talk with you about. So, again, thank you for, for, for doing this. What's this like to, to be a, a, a news person right now? Like, What have the last two months been like?
1: It's really, really weird, which I, I know that's a word that gets used a lot, but it's just what always comes to my mind because as a, uh, as a news person, as a broadcaster, as a journalist, you want to be there for the big story. You really want something to be going on. On the other hand, you don't want it to be a pandemic where people are sick and dying and losing their jobs. And uh, so there is kind of this rush of adrenaline because the big story is going on and you get to cover it. And then on the other hand, I get home at night and I go, man, I just covered five hours of people's lives being ruined. You know, so, so it's, it's just this weird kind of back and forth thing.
0: When it comes to how to cover something like this, what what's the training to cover something like this? There is no training uh, so with
1: experience. A lot of people here at the station have been doing this 20, 30 or more years. I always joke with some of them. They've been doing it longer than I've been alive. Uh, they don't like it when I joke that way, well, <laughs> but, you know, but it's just true. Uh, when you've been doing it for a lot of years, you start to learn how to be sensitive when you're talking with people about things that really matter to them, you know, that that really impact them, you start to figure out how, and I don't want to sound like I'm some kind of a victim here or something. I'm not a first responder. I'm not in an ICU ward or something, but you do learn to sort of divorce yourself from what's going on or compartmentalize what's going on. If you talk to people who've been covering the cop beat for a long time they say, if you don't, it, it's legitimate PTSD because you're just covering this death all the time. And so again, I don't want to elevate myself. I'm, I'm just a dude who talks on the radio, but it, you're covering the same thing over and over again. And so you have to be sensitive. You have to give good information. You have to really care, but you also have to figure out how to take care of yourself in the midst of all that.
0: What's the part of this that's touched you the most?
1: I have several people that I know personally who have been impacted by it i don't know anyone who has yet uh, died from it but i have several friends and family in fact uh, i won't get into too much detail i have someone very very close to me who is just in line this morning at one of the testing stations uh, because of some pretty severe symptoms uh, one of the people that i'm really close with was on a ventilator for weeks close to death uh, so to to, to feel that impact personally in a way it makes it harder because you try not to be emotional. You have to be this strong anchor man on the air. You know, you try not to be emotional about it. On the other hand, I think it's actually good because when you're talking about something going on in South America or Asia, you know, it's just so remote, but when it's something that's impacting you and the people around you, I, I think we can cover this, with a little more emotion, care, feeling, I really think we can probably do a better job of it.
0: What's important cuz that's what I've been trying to figure out as I consume news. Like how do you figure out what do we need to give to our audience every day?
1: There's just so much out there. I mean, you have counts of how many people have been tested, how many people have tested positive, how many people have tested negative, how many people have died, how many people are on ventilators, how many people are in ICU. It's just this data that's just thrown at you all the time. And so what we have to do is sort of ride a wave of of what it it just feels like in your gut people care about. At first, it's it's the immediate, what is this going to look like? What's going to go on? And then you have a shutdown order. Okay, what's it going to be like to be locked up at home? What's going on with small businesses? And we've reached a point where a lot of people, regardless of your politics or anything like that, a lot of people are just itching to get out of the house. You know, it, it's going to be some good weather here. People have been cooped up at home and they're starting to go, maybe I'm willing to risk this a little bit more in order to get out of my house. And so we've, we've moved through some of that. A lot of deciding what you're going to cover is just based on your gut, uh, the people you're talking with, your friends and family, uh, emails and, and messages we're getting at the radio station. What does it seem like people are caring about now? Uh, but sometimes you just have to wing it. And right now it seems like people are going, okay, six, seven weeks of this. All right, I'm done. Time to figure out whatever the new normal is going to be.
0: You've worked at a lot of great stations in Chicago's history. What do you feel like is the responsibility of WBBM?
1: WBBM is a station I never thought I would work at. And it's not, you know, not, I mean, it was just going like, this is a great station. You know, this is just legendary station. And I bounced around to some other, as you mentioned, some really other good legendary stations, but I just never thought I would be on the air here. And now that I am, what it does is it reinforces what I've thought for so long that this is a utility that when people need information, I mean, when, when everything is falling apart, this is the place people turn to get that information. It's a little different. A lot of people are now on the radio.com app, you know, listening online. So the way that they're getting it is changing, but they want that information. In a crisis, they want that information. And so it's, it's sort of humbling it, it really is humbling to think that that you get to be there relaying information that's very serious. Some of it is life or death, and you get to relay it to people, and they care. So I, I've done some you know, different shout-outs on social media and stuff. Can't really do it a lot on the air on news radio, but just letting people know, hey, we appreciate you. We appreciate that you appreciate us, and we are really all in this together.
0: It's so interesting that you say that because – Obviously, doing sports radio, it's often referred to, and it makes me bristle, the idea of the toy department. And what I've noticed from SCORE listeners over the last seven weeks is an appreciation for what it is we do. Not that they don't appreciate us on a day-in, day-out basis. It's just that the medium itself is so intimate that you're the person in the car with them. You're the person inside their head, you're the person at work with them, and there was a point in time where it looked like that might be disrupted. And I've been pretty happy with how the score has made sure to keep people on the air. And I knew it was important and I felt that it was important, but you don't want to come off as being self-important. It's it's been nice hearing from listeners that level of appreciation and connection that, that they have with whomever their favorite radio personality is.
1: The way that you stay humble, you know, to, to avoid that sort of self-importance that you're talking about, is just to remember, I mean, I'm telling myself in my ear all the time, if I'm out tomorrow, someone else is going to pop in here and they're just going to keep the wheel moving. Right. Different in news radio than sports. I mean, in in sports, there's just different skills that you need and you need to keep that talk show going and be interesting and all that. Uh, Here, if you can run the equipment, which is not easy. No, 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 it's not. Uh, If you can run the equipment and you can talk and you can run the clock, you you can do this job. Sherman Kaplan was an institution in this town on news radio. He retires. I'm blessed to take over for him. And the wheel just keeps churning, you know, and someday I'll be gone. I don't know if it'll be 40 years, 40 days. I don't know. But someday I'll be gone and someone else will come in and they'll, they'll do the same thing. That helps me avoid the self-importance. But I think if you ignore that intimacy that you're talking about, you really lose what makes radio special, regardless of the format. You are in people's living rooms, in their cars, sometimes in their showers, their bedrooms, I mean, out for walks and everything. And people do begin to consider you part of their family. And that's a great honor, and, and I really appreciate that. In this time, you talk about sports. I think that's, sports is not just the toy shop because sports is when everything else is falling apart. Sports is this thing that just allows us to go, all right, I'm, I'm gonna divert my attention from all the death, all the destruction, all that stuff. I'm just gonna have fun. I'm gonna hang out with my guys. I'm gonna just enjoy this. And for me, I'm a huge baseball fan, huge Cubs fan. I mean, since I was a little kid, Andre Dawson was my hero growing up. You know, I love, love the Hawk. And so for me, the idea of this, this delayed baseball season, is just like, you know, I, I want to hear Pat and Ron on the score. And, and I'm not sucking up because I'm here talking to you. You know, I, I mean it. Like, I want to hear Pat and Ron on the score. And uh, to, to think that that's been yanked away from
0: us too, is it's, it's brutal. It really is. Whenever I get someone who has a connection to the Cubs, someone that's a fan or someone who covered the Cubs, I always like to ask this question. What was it like in 2016? And was it as good as you hoped it would be?
1: It uh, – <laughs> dude, I'm going to cry if you talk to me about 2016. All right? <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I, I joke around with my wife. I go, someday we have three young kids. And I said, someday they're going to bring their kids over and they're going to tell my grandkids now. Now, remember, don't ask grandpa about 2016. All right. We don't want grandpa to cry about 2016. OK, so I had uh, it, it was it was just this un. It, it couldn't have been more perfect because I'm in the living room. I'm with my family. We're a family of Cubs fans. The whole thing happens. We're celebrating together. Uh, Then I run off uh, about an hour later to uh, a Denny's, right? What's up at that time of the morning? I'm hungry. I go to a Denny's. They got TVs on. Denny's is packed with people eating, uh, you know, home runs slams or grand slams, whatever it is, and watching it on the TV and celebrating. And then during the parade, I, now this, again, this is an area where I'm very blessed. I'm on the air anchoring our coverage uh, our studios were in a location here at Prudential Building where you could see the buses come into Millennium Park, into the, the whole uh, celebration. I'm on the air with Jeff Joniak and Josh Liss, uh, and Jeff Joniak is like, you know, he, he doesn't believe this. He's one of my heroes. Like, I just love that dude. And to be able to be a part of it in all of these ways, I, I just, it's just it's almost like a dream. Like, I can't really believe that it happened. And to think that I was alive when it happened, I you know we, you know we did we this is kind of crazy. I think other people did this too. We my dad's passed away. Huge Cubs fan. He's the reason we're a Cubs fan. We went to the cemetery, and if you go there today, there is still a Cubs championship hat that is tethered to his gravestone. <laughs> you know, it's still there all these years later uh, because uh, we we want you know we want to we want to share this with you.
0: One of was, one of my favorite things that I did during 2016. I'm a Southsider. I'm a Sox fan. And what's really crazy is a lot of people who work at the Cubs know it and they've been cool with me still like being around there and covering the team. In some cases doing uh pre and post of Cubs games because they know I I try to be fair. But one of my favorite things that we did, Mitch said, let's we're going to extend pre-games. We're going to expand it out. Can you go and come up with some content? And I was like, yeah, okay, not a problem. I'll, I'll do some stuff, work through some press conferences, talk with some people. One of the days I went over to the building, went over to Wrigley as people were starting to write on the building while the, the team was in Cleveland. And I was blown away by the commune that was happening, the pilgrimage to Wrigley Field. That was going on. I talked to this guy from he was working. I want to say he was actually working for Hershey in Hershey, Pennsylvania, and he had asked for the day off and he was out of PTO. He said he quit. He quit. He casted his 401k and drove to Chicago because he wanted to be here just in case they won the World Series. And I. I kept hearing story and story of, of that. And the thing that you're saying, a lot of people, um, I humble brag here. I'm about to drop a name, so pick it up. A friend of mine, I'm friends with Jake Johnson from New Girl, Chicago guy. He talked about the same thing of wanting to celebrate it with not just your relatives who are alive, but celebrate it with the people that brought you into the covenant of Cubs baseball even if that meant going to the cemetery and having a beer, having a a PBR or whatever while, and bringing a radio so that your loved ones could share in that moment. Yeah. Just bringing a lawn chair
1: and and sitting, it it, it feels weird, but luckily I wasn't the only one doing it. Just bringing a lawn chair and sitting there and going, you know what? We're, we're doing this. Like this is really happening. I, I had my, uh, my 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 dad's wedding ring on. I had my great grandfather's Cubs hat on. For, it's like a 40 year old Cubs hat. Or <laughs> and they're both buried in the same cemetery. And I'm like, fellas, we did it. You know, we, can you believe this? We did it. And it's a it's a weird moment. A lot of people who are not sports fans don't understand it. But I, I think with the Cubs, when the Sox won the World Series, huge celebration. I was very happy for them. I have really good friends who are are Sox fans and they, you know, I don't hate the Sox, so that, you know, it's good to see them win. When the Cubs won, it, it was this just a culmination of all of these years of people waiting for them and not having it happen. And then all these family and friends who didn't live to see it and you're celebrating with their memory. And man, I called my, my little league coach. He's retired down in, in Florida. And he was the coach who told me when I was 12 years old, I said, you know, I'm going to play for the Cubs someday. And he laughed and goes, son, that is not (laughs) going to (laughs) happen. And the reason is because he knew you got to be able to hit a curveball, You got to be able to run. You got to be able to field. I mean, all these things. Right. But we've stayed friends and I called this guy down in Florida. And here is this 75 year old man weeping on the phone. We did it. We did it. I can't believe we did it. You know, and it's, it's just, I don't know.
0: I'm so glad I was alive to be a part of that. The emotional release of it was like, oh, I would say over the next week. Like, that's kind of how I noticed it. Where even after they had won, after the parade, like you go into Wrigleyville and people were still like in a daze almost because I don't know. Like, you you knew the team was good. Like, you had known that since the, the middle of 2015 that the team was moving in the right direction. But to see it happen and to to have the, the Lucy with the football moment yeah. in Cleveland, like, oh, yeah, oh, this is the part <laughs> <laughs> where the Cubs thing happens. Great Rajay Davis, of all people, that guy hits a fine, fine. I've signed up for this as being a Cub fan, and then boom, it happens again. That emotional release that went on it was, it was, uh, as someone who I'm kind of with you, where like I love Chicago so much that it's not my team, they didn't go through my team to win the World Series, so I'm not mad. It was just fun as an observer to go, man, Chicago's all right today. Like, everyone seems to be in a great mood, except for some of the White Sox fans that I saw uh, the next morning. You'll get a kick out of this. So I live in the South Side. I live in Hyde Park. Hyde Park is kind of cubsy. Like, it's, it's a little bit more cubsy than one would think, considering its proximity to Sox Park. And I remember getting on the Metro at University of Chicago. And just kind of quietly looking around and seeing a few White Sox fans like caps on, <laughs> not saying anything, not bothering anyone, not antagonizing people. Just we're here, we're we're in the background, but we want you to know that we're still here. Is that silent protest, right? Yes, <laughs> yes. I think that's a that's a perfect way to put it. This kind of silent. I'm going to cower over here in the corner, but know that I have my White Sox cap on for sure. Um, When did you know that you wanted to, to do this? Or was this not something that you knew you wanted to do? When I was a kid, I wanted to
1: be a lawyer. And what was funny about that is years later, I looked at my grade transcripts and I was like, oh, yeah, that was never going to happen. You know, like there's, like, I don't know what fantasy land I was living in. And then this guy who was the play-by-play guy for the Kane County Cougars, a guy named Michael King, who's now doing sports in Seattle. He's been in Seattle for a long time. Michael King came to my school. I went to Aurora Christian High School, and Michael King came to speak. And I went up and talked to him afterward. And the only reason I went up to talk to him is because I said in my mind, he does what Harry Carey does. Mm. And and I I like Harry Carey. I'm going to go see this guy. And he said to me, And I I think about, I was, I was a sophomore in high school. So you're like screech, right? Like you, you, no one has a good voice in high school. Like it's all cracking and developing and all that. And I introduced myself to him and he said, you have a great voice. And I, I I didn't even know what, I didn't say anything back. I didn't know what to say. And he said, you know what, I'm going to bring you out to the ballpark and I'm going to give you a tour and uh, I'm going to let you watch what I do. And he did that. And I was hooked. And so I went to Western Illinois to study radio and TV and had a great time down in Macomb. And then I, I knew I want to be on radio. I don't know exactly what I want to do. I don't want to be a DJ cause I'm just no good at that. that. That's a different kind of skill, but I know I want to be on the radio. And my lucky break, there were two of them, two really lucky breaks. One is I got an internship right out of college at WMAQ radio, which is a
0: familiar frequency, I'm sure. Uh huh. 6:70 a.m. And and I I laugh because I actually interned at WMAQ in '96. I was Jeff Joniak's intern. No way. Mm-hmm. No way. Jeff Joniak See, and an Luke Canellis.
1: Intern- okay. See, I was an intern in '98 at WMAQ, and they had me on the news side. But uh, Joniak, actually, he's that's my second break. I was lucky enough to get the break to get an internship there. And they were a non-union shop so I could do some things on the air. Correct. So I I, and I, I chose it specifically for that reason. And they let me do some overnight stuff. And then Jeff Joniak said, hey, you know, would you would you be interested in doing sports here at this station? And he interviewed me for a sports reporter anchor job. And the reason I didn't get the job, I ended up not getting that. The reason I didn't get the job is because I went to Jeff. I said, Jeff, you are the home of the bears and the home of the Blackhawks." Okay. At that time, that's, that's where the teams were. I said, Jeff, I'm a baseball guy. I don't know anything about football. I don't know anything about hockey. I mean, I watch it. I enjoy it. Okay, fine. I can't tell you like, you know, tailback, nickelback, fullback, like I, I don't even, I, I will embarrass myself if I start talking about nuts and bolts of football right now. I said, I can't do sports on this radio station. I'll embarrass you. I'll embarrass myself. It'll be terrible. And uh, so what Jeff did is he got them to hire me as an entry-level news reporter. Totally joniac. He's totally the reason. And from that point forward, I've been in town ever since, totally blessed, bounced around, but um, I'm going on. 22 years in chicago radio which sounds like i'm really old
0: yeah we're this we're the same age and i will have been at the score for 23 years next week yeah isn't that crazy?
1: crazy it is totally crazy totally crazy totally i would have never predicted it i was hoping to get a job i don't know somewhere you know some you know market number 200 i don't know i was just hoping to get a job somewhere And it's because of the lucky break of the internship and Joniak uh, really pushing for it. That's why I'm here and to still be here all these years later. And Lawrence, we could be in radio like 50 years, man.
0: Yeah, it's really weird that uh, to hear people go, I grew up listening to you. And then like, how old are you? And you're like, (laughs) I'm 35. And you're like, I'm 44. Like, I don't know if that math even works, but uh, I I guess it, it, it makes sense. Do you, how much did you like the talk show format?
1: There, so I was in political talk and I I did news for a long time. And then I was working at WLS radio with Don Wade and Roma. And I saw how Don Wade and Roma had so much fun on the air. And I saw that Don, who's now uh, passed, uh, that Don was skilled and methodical. I mean, it, it wasn't, a lot of guys think talk radio, and, and you all at Discord know this, everyone assumes you just turn on the microphone and talk. Yes, and they do. It, right? They don't understand there is a skill to this. You work hard, you have an angle, you, you know, you're, you're working. it. It's not just guys at a bar talking. Correct. I mean, you, you really, you're, this is a skill. And I saw that with Don, and I said, you know, I, I think I want to try that. And so eventually I was given my own show. And I loved it. I mean, I, I loved, uh, am I going to be interesting? Am I going to be funny? Am I going to uh, be, you know, probing on a particular issue? What is it? But the, the, the period of time where I got tired of it was um, when in, in, in political talk radio, there's good guys and bad guys. And there's no reasonable mm. people. There's no, uh, you know, well, uh, both sides have good points. I mean, it' good and bad. And I got to the point where I went, you know, President Obama was still president back then. And I said, you know, Obama's not the devil. You know, the Republicans don't have all the answers. The Democrats aren't always right. They're like, they're just not this world where every, you know, one side's always right. And one side's always it's wrong. It's not
0: binary. You know,
1: exactly, exactly. And so I got to a point where it was mentally exhausting to do the job because I said, okay, Either I'm going to play this game every day, you know, where I'm like an actor just sort of doing this thing, or I have to get out. And uh, luckily, a, a guy named Drew Hayes helped me get out by firing me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people have that story about Drew. A lot. Of I, still, I still love Drew, though. He and I
1: still get along really, really well. But uh, thank you, Drew Hayes, for firing me and You're getting me out of
0: talk radio. You're not going to believe this. This is not a setup, okay? <laughs> I was going through some pictures. Look at this! Look at this! (laughs) No
1: way! Look at that! You you just happen to have that sitting there. No one's gonna believe that you didn't plan this. That we didn't plan
0: it. No, I did. I did not plan it. But that (laughs) for for those that are looking at this, that is Drew Hayes, and this is a Christmas party. It was just in a like I've been straightening up like since my office has become like my office office now. I've been straightening up, so you're finding like all sorts of stuff. And this is from a Christmas party. Like, if you look again, you can see me in the back, like wearing glasses. That's
1: all. Yeah, there you are. Yeah.
0: Drew Hayes did all of Sugar Hill Gang's. Um, I, I, it was unbelievable. Rapper's Delight. He did every bit of it at our Christmas party. That this picture is like right before he went on stage. What I love about Drew is. is-
1: we would scream at each other i mean like just scream you know show stuff producer stuff all this sort of just scream at each other and then hug and it was like all right well so let's move on same way
0: and and he 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 had uh, tasked me with a job back then where i was in his office screaming a lot and it was the same thing where he he would talk me down after we had screamed, we'd hug it out, and then we'd be fine. And I, I actually really appreciated it about him that there were times where I think talent, I think we can sometimes make it more personal than it should be when we have issues, and I appreciated that he never let it be personal. Yeah, and it was, it's a, a hard skill to master, but it's a, it when if you have it, you you have it. So. Once, once you've made the decision, look, I'm not here to play a role. How do you go about rebuilding your your career and your resume when you have a great job like that? Like A lot of people in broadcast be like, man, that's a great job to have. All you had to do was play ball. How do you then go about rebuilding your career and your reputation once you move away from it?
1: It took a long time because... I knew that I couldn't do that anymore. And I knew that I don't know enough to do sports talk. Okay. I, I actually went, I talked to Mitch Rosen once and I said, Hey man, if you ever need anybody who knows like almost nothing about sports and you want to team him <laughs> up with somebody, I'm your guy, you know, let me know. it could be like the guy who knows stuff and the guy who doesn't, it'd be great. I
0: know? think, you know, more than, than you're giving yourself credit for
1: who knows baseball. I don't know the rest of it. I don't know. I don't know the rest of it. Uh, but yeah, so I I just decided okay I can't do political talk anymore. Can't do sports talk. Uh, the the sort of uh, reasonable
0: conversation talk is just is mindless. there no place for that? Like that. That's what I wonder. Like is is there any place in 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 talk for reasonable conversation? I don't have I don't an answer think... for that. I'm I'm just curious. I don't think so because you you have uh, so you have some people in town
1: who you know, you tune in and you get like barbecue tips, you know, like, Hey, you know, do you really want great ribs this summer? You know, tune in. Well, yeah. Okay. You know, like there's the, there's the, is that interesting? And then there's also the, is that what I want to do? Right. Is that the kind of, no way. I don't think reasonable talk works in radio because no one wants to just hear your conversation. You know, like if, if you're at a bar and you're hanging out and you overhear someone a table away or a stool away and they're having a conversation with a friend, that conversation is almost never interesting to you. You know, to them, it's the greatest conversation in the world. They're engaged in it. They totally get it, but no one is sitting there going, you know, know I wish I could do, I really wish I could just overhear someone's just ordinary everyday conversation. You know, no one's doing that because it's kind of boring. And so in talk radio, you have to have some kind of an angle that makes people think or gives them information that they didn't have before or makes them laugh or something. And so I don't know if, you know, if, if two people just sitting there shooting the breeze is ever going to be a ratings winner anywhere.
0: So once you figured it out, what became your, your task on you clearly have a love for radio and you would kind of started checking things off and saying, all right, I've eliminated this, this, and this, here's what I want to do. How did you come to that conclusion?
1: So I had to have this, this sort of uh, soul searching moment because I have, you know, my, I'm a uh, I worked with a guy named John Howell for a long time. And he said uh, that I, I'm a multi-layered onion. You know, you, you, you peel back a lot of layers there. Um, you know, I have this radio thing. I'm also this kind of church guy, like a pastor out in the suburbs. And so I have that going on. And uh, when Drew fired me, I went and got a church started, which, you know, who does that? You know, it's totally weird. And so I had that going on in my life and that was going well. It was out in Oak Park and where we were living and just loved that church life and pastor life. But inside me, there is still this itch. Like I want to be in radio. I really love it. I still have this bug. And so what I decided that I needed to do is to try to get in at WBBM. Uh, I said, I don't, you know, don't want to do sports talk, political talk, boring talk. I don't want to do that stuff anymore. And so I contacted Julie Mann, who's the managing editor here at WBBM, and I'd known Julie for years, and we had coffee, and I said, you know, I think I'd like to work there. Do you have anything? What do you think? And she was very, very respectful, but she said, you know, you used to be the bomb-throwing political talk show host. You know, that's what you used to do. You used to get people riled up on the air. And we don't know that you have been away from that long enough. Mm to go back to being this unbiased journalist, you know? And I said, okay, you know, totally get it. She goes, give it, give it more time, maybe a couple more years, you know, give it some more time. And then I think it was two months went by and I was getting ready to accept this job that I did not want. I won't say where, but it was, it was a, a job that I did not want. And I'm on my computer and I'm getting ready, I'm literally typing out the email to the guy to accept the job that I don't want. And as I'm typing out this email, an email from Julie Mann pops up. Hey Cisco, are you still interested in working here? I literally, I walked into my wife. I'm like, you're not going to believe this. Look at, look at this. This uh, I was typing out this email and Julie wrote me. So she brought me into a meeting with a man that, you know, and love, Ron Gleason.
0: I'm Ron Gleason. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that baritone
1: that just never quite leaves
0: you. aha uh, ha ha ha. <laughs> bears radio 780 and 105.9 fm
1: we're running these psa's on the radio station for coronavirus help and ron is one of the voices in there and i just keep making fun of him because he sounds like an aging rocker who's trying to sound serious you know we in that ron gleason voice if you need help we're here you know it's just, it's just, it's just,
0: if you need help cat daddy we're here <laughs>
1: cracking me up because i know he's trying to be serious and it just doesn't yeah so i, I get hauled into a meeting with ron gleason and he goes you you think you can be unbiased you know he's ron gleason voice Well, oh, do you think you can be unbiased cisco i'm like yeah it's a, it's a different format like if i was gonna be a country dj i wouldn't play rock albums you know right it's a different format here i'm unbiased there i'm not and that's it i i get it and so he he hired me he was really afraid that there was going to be a backlash Where people were going to say, Oh, you, you know, we thought you were the straight and narrow, sort of unbiased news radio. And you brought that talk radio guy on there, that bomb thrower. And he, you know, he he didn't get any of that. And I told him, I said, It's because the people who didn't listen to me don't have any idea who I am and don't care. And the people who did listen to me go, I can't believe WBBM hired him. This, you know, this this is pretty cool. And so there was no one to complain and doesn't mean there haven't been people complaining about me over the many years, but it, it, not for that reason.
0: It's good. You brought up your faith. There's actually something that I did want to talk about if you don't mind. No, not at all. Yeah. How do you think that it's it clearly like it, it guided you to build a church? Like how, how does your faith develop to a level of devotion that has you building and and a, a, a a whole congregation it's hard to explain
1: because it is people have always talked about calling you know they use that a lot in in kind of uh, spiritual lingo you know I I have a calling and I, I never really understood that but as we were living in Oak Park I had just been fired by Drew and there was already this thing just kind of brewing inside of me like this passion and you know what we need in this neighborhood? We need another church in this neighborhood. And everyone around me thought that was crazy. There's plenty of churches. There's a church on every block. Why do we need another church? And I used to joke around with them and say, you well, know, if a new restaurant was coming to town, you're not going to go, hey, we got enough restaurants here. Why do we need another
0: restaurant? It's true.
1: Yeah. So It's like, we're just, we're going to do it differently and we're going to try to make this work and we're going to see what happens and maybe nothing will happen or maybe it'll be cool. And so I pushed forward in that, and it was just this this passion inside of me that made it so I couldn't get around it. I, I, I couldn't do something else, and so we just pushed forward. I got a team of people together, and we got we got a church started from scratch. Which, like I said earlier, I don't know who does that. I mean, it's just you know, it's 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 a weird thing. But I guess every church that's out there got started by somebody.
0: Sure. That, that you end up, it, it's, hey, this is what we believe and we're going to find like-minded people and they're going to join us and we're going to profess our faith. Like, I I get that. Like, it is, it is. I will say that I don't know if I know anyone else who started a church. So that's kind of cool.
1: Yeah, it was neat to, to be able to be there. And we've recently, you know, we moved out of Oak Park, moved back to my hometown of Aurora to be by family. Uh, I I love that we moved back to Aurora just in time to have to see my family on video because of a quarantine. Yeah. We could have done this from Oak Park. We sure could have, Uh, but we uh, we were at that church for about nine years, really building it from the ground up and to see these people working together, caring for each other, celebrating their faith, worshiping together and uh, new people who are exploring God and have questions about God to, to see them come together and get their questions answered it was just a really neat thing. I don't know if I'll ever do that again or not. I'm working at another church out in the suburbs now, um, but I, I don't know if I'll ever start one from scratch again. But it was just a really neat thing to be a part of.
0: I feel like uh, you have you have paid your debt. I feel like building <laughs> a church is a pretty good sign of devotion, and, <laughs> and you're probably covered. Like you don't need to go and build another one if you don't want to go build another one. you know, entrepreneur is going to entrepreneur, you know, Ah, this is true. No, there's there's no doubt about that. I, I always like to ask people that have done as much as you've done in this business. Like, what advice would you have for students that maybe think they know what they want to be at 22? Because I know that I had an idea of like, oh, I'll be a sports center anchor by the time I'm 27. And then I figured out I don't want to move to Bristol, Connecticut. I don't want to be uh, on Sports Center. What lessons do you have for students that are trying to figure all this stuff out?
1: You have to roll with it. You really do. And you talk about you know Sports Center in Connecticut. I was 24 years old. I'd been in this business for two years, and a I'm not saying this to puff myself up. This is just, this is a true story. Uh, a guy from WCBS Radio in New York called me. Mm. And he said, uh, we heard one of your tapes and we would like you to come to New York. We, you know, we'd like you to come here, flew me out there, put me up at a nice hotel. I'm 24 years old. You know, I'm walking around Manhattan. This guy assumes, well, the 24 year old, he's he's going to take the job because it's New York. I it's mean, market on. one. It's market one. This is where everyone wants to be. Yes. Right? And I got to the end of it and I was there for a couple of days and then I, I flew home and I called the guy a day or two later and I'm like, yeah, no, no. I mean, thanks. But no, I mean, I, I like Chicago. This is my, my family's here in yeah. town and I went to New York and I was kind of like, I mean, great weekend place.
0: It's not for me either.
1: It is not. It's just not. And so I think that a lot of people starting out would go, I'm just going to keep climbing. I'm just going to keep growing and, and get as high as I can. And, uh, and you just never know when you're going to say, Hey, I'm feeling comfortable. And for some people, that place that's comfortable might be Louisville, you know, Yeah. think about, it. I mean, it might be some other, it might be Iowa city. And You might say, Hey, this is where I'm comfortable. I don't need to go anywhere else. And that's okay too. Uh, I mean, I think I talk to classes all the time and I just tell them be flexible be passionate about it because you're going to have a lot of closed doors. So you got to push forward through this. It's a tough marketplace, uh, but there are always going to be jobs for people who can be creative and be entertaining. Bill Cameron, who's a long time political reporter told me there will always be a place for people who can tell good stories. And it's true. It's true. If you're really talented you will be able to get a job, but it may take several years and you may have to really push hard and, uh, not kind of a lot of doors, but you, know, you, you can still do it, and you can still do really well.
0: Cisco, this was delightful, man. I really appreciate your time. I know that you're you're grinding because of everything that's going on at BBM, and I mean, you are the the Robert Feeder Cover Boy now, and you know, you just <laughs> you know how weird that is. <laughs> I'm no joke. I mean, like literally. And if
1: you if your face is in Feeder. It usually means you don't ever have to come to work again.
0: That's right. It usually means you've been fired. That's, that's (laughs) usually how it goes. If you see your name on the front of a feeder column, it's like, Oh man, (laughs) they got me before I even got into the building today. I had no idea. I had no idea that he was going to do that at all.
1: He pulled a random (laughs) selfie, I think from my Twitter feed or something like that. And uh, it it was, it it was fun and it's good that people are tuning into us and it's good to be trusted uh, it's it's good to still be here. I'll, I'll tell you though, I do. I walk by your studio almost every day. Our
0: lonely studio.
1: You know what I want to do? I'm not trying to be disrespectful toward uh, toward animals or anything, but you know that uh, is it Sarah McLaughlin, whatever. Yes, whatever, that little sad song with all the dogs that look like they need a home
0: and all that stuff. The
1: <laughs> I have been wanting to just take my phone and just walk through and get some shots of the score studio
0: and B 96 and jams and just, and then put that song behind it and put it out there. I think that's a really good idea. I would endorse and retweet that. I would, I would be all over it. I do look forward to hopefully one day coming back to that studio, but I'm not going to lie. I have, I have adapted to doing stuff from home better than I expected. I thought I would be a mess Like an app because I don't I do the show from my basement like my office is now like the podcast zone and where I do like production stuff. But I do the show from the basement because it's closer to the router and I'm actually okay with it. I actually have everything I need. I put the TV on. I have my laptop there with me. I can hear my producer even though I can't see him, which kind of sucks. But it I got used to it quicker than I was expecting to which is probably not a good thing for if and when they ask us to come back because I'm going to be like, no, no. Well, maybe they
1: won't, man. That's what we, on our noon business hour, we keep talking about the way that the workplace is going to change and how many big companies are going to go, do we really need all this square footage? Yeah. Or can we do something different?
0: Hey, Cisco, honestly, I've been thinking a lot about that because I, I grew out of the score from when it was still on Belmont Avenue. And the more, like, as soon as we started – like, Mitch kind of said, you know, it's not that that there's anything wrong necessarily with our studio. And we had been rotating. Like, we had cut our shows by 10 minutes so that the host that was in the studio could spend the 10 minutes cleaning the studio for the host that was going to come in next. And he said, look, it's just that this building has so many people in it. And I kept thinking, Belmont. Like, I kept in my mind going... What if we went back to a time when we were just in an office building? Our sister station in Milwaukee, they remind me so much of the old score days at Belmont. They're just like on the outskirts of Milwaukee in a building. Like it's just, a, it looks like a house. And I keep wondering if radio stations in particular, any type of like content creation factory, if now we're going to go, do we need downtown office space? Because I don't know if there's a good argument for it.
1: Yeah, the listener doesn't really know, right? No. I mean, the listener, you, you, I mean, you broadcast from your house, right? And sounds good on the air. People are interacting with you. You're able to take calls, do interviews, all that stuff. I mean, why do they need this expensive real
0: estate? Don't get me wrong. I like being able to look at the lake. You know? For sure. Yeah. It's a and, nice view. and even the salespeople, like, they're mostly out. They're, they're not really... And who wants to drive back downtown from wherever you are? You know, if it's the suburbs or the South Side, like who wants to to come downtown? I, I think that a lot of business models in our business are are going to change. And I would imagine that that Lynn's right. There'll be a lot of people that are, are going to do that. But thank you for this. I and mean, this was a really outstanding. And I really appreciate you spending some time with me and, and explaining uh, how things are going at BBM is, is fantastic. So, so a sincere thank you.
1: Yeah. Thank you, man. Good to see you virtually. And I look forward to seeing you in person hopefully someday soon.
0: Yeah. I'm hoping for that as well. Thank you kindly. Thank you. Dude, you rocked that. That was fantastic, thank you, man. This is fun. I appreciate it. Yeah. So I'll probably put this out in two weeks. OK, um, but it, it's the House of L podcast. If you want to take a look at like some of the past ones. I Yeah, I saw you. Uh, you had Peggy on. Oh, was my God. She was great. And she was two glasses of wine in. <laughs> <laughs> you know,
1: my uh, when I was working at MAQ, I had uh, Peggy and Dave Pash had that sports huddle show. Yes. And one of my first major screw ups was there was some breaking news thing that we had to go to and we had to interrupt their show. And again, I'm 22 years old, my first job. And instead of going in their ear in queue and saying, okay, we need to go to the news conference. I got on the air and I said, okay, guys, we got to go to this news conference. And you should have seen the look of death. know. And I, you know, I haven't seen Dave in years, Peggy. I love, she's just amazing. Uh, so it's not like, you know, we ended up not liking each other or whatever, but I could tell in their mind right then they were like, who is this 22 year old idiot who
0: who just jumped on the air
1: number three market. And this is what it's coming to. Are you kidding me?
0: That was my first job. I I was interning and I think it was Dave Aurelio who was one of the producers of the sports huddle and he quit and they were like, Hey, 19 year old, (laughs) do you think you could produce a six hour sports show? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and that's we'll how we'll see we're gonna find out <laughs> have fun man thank you so much for doing this all right have a
1: good night see i'll you see
0: more. you man bye-bye that was cisco Koto. that was a lot of fun to talk with him and learn about him and i gotta say i i'm pretty sure he's the only guest that we've had on house of l that started his own church although If you go back into the episode with a cola, like, Maddie was definitely one of those people that you could have seen it happening. He really does have, like, an encyclopedic knowledge of the Bible. But so does Cisco. I'm glad we got to talk that he got to talk about everything that his career has been all about. And it's fun to, to get a perspective of someone who's a legit, like, news person on the podcast. So that was dope. Um, let me take a look at your emails a lot of people have emailed yay you guys are back in the emails I appreciate that if you'd like to email the podcast Podcast at gmail.com is the way that you can do it a lot of people giving some feedback on episode 111 it was Maddie's episode this from Chris as a longtime SCORE listener, the look behind the scenes you and Matt gave us was amazing. I agree with Matt. Dan Solo has been destination listening, especially being able to do a little more long-form stuff with no actual sports going on. Thanks again for the podcast. Stay safe and stay healthy. That's from Chris. There's another one. Where I? I can't believe I lost it. Here we go. This is from Ryan. Hey, Lawrence. Great show with Matty. Miss him on the SCORE. Wait, the score could have had a morning show that was you, Matt, and Zach? Damn, that would have been fun. Please keep doing what you're doing. We'd love to hear more of you and Jason collaborating together. Not only is it insightful and fun, but I think we need it. And that's from Ryan. Thanks. I appreciate both of you guys saying such nice things. Look, the great thing about (laughs) we family, as Bernie Mac would say, right? The great thing about NBC Sports Chicago is it has allowed me to be able to collaborate with people that I haven't been able to collaborate with on radio. In Jason's case, I wasn't able to collaborate with him as much as I wanted. But to have Jason over there and to have Tony, to have Tony Gill over there, like that's a big deal. Cap and I had always talked about doing something. We might. We might do something big together, but we'll see. But yeah, anytime that I can do stuff with Jason Goff, like I'm I'm all for it. I'm trying to convince him now that we should do a weekly podcast over there. But, you know, that man's busy. He's got and I have 100 podcasts. So maybe that's not the best idea. But I'm always looking to collaborate with him, getting a chance to work with Layla, like more closely now because of, of being over there. And obviously my crew from the football after show. It's been fun. I'm, I'm hoping that I can bring some more people over there and work with them. Stay tuned on that. Before I get out of here on the pod today, I, I wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about Dick Johnson. And I know that I talked about him on the radio show. Um, I was a little bit of an emotional mess. And I have been on the radio show for the last few weeks. And I apologize for that. I usually try to stay a bit more stoic, but it's not a bad thing to show some emotion from time to time on the show. I just don't want to be like the crying host all the time. But I did want to tell you about Dick Johnson and why I love him, like why his death hit me really hard. And I think a lot of other people it hit hard. Over at Channel 5, I told the story on the air, but I can tell you since you listen to the podcast and you might not listen to the radio show. When I started out at Channel 5, I started out doing this like weekly segment on the Saturday morning, Sunday morning news. It was me. It was Zoraida and it was Nally Martinez. Occasionally, we do some stuff. It was all football related. They're like, oh, that's the guy that covers Football for the score, covers the Bears for the score. The Bears are a big story. Let's have them on to talk about what happens at the games. So that's what I would do. I would do Channel 5 and then head over to Soldier Field. And on road games, like, we do phone calls and stuff. It was really a lot of fun. And then the folks over there were like, hey, do you want to – do you think you could do Sports Sunday a little bit? Like, can't you read a teleprompter? And I was like, sure, I can read a teleprompter. So Jeff Glick, who was the executive producer over there, brought me over to do some stuff. And, and in 2011, they asked me if I wanted to anchor, if I if I thought that I could handle weekend anchoring. So from 2011 to 2014, I was doing weekend anchoring. It was a pretty crazy time in my life, to tell you the truth. Because I was legit working seven days a week. I was doing the radio show at night. And then I would go over to, to Channel 5, usually around 2 o'clock on a Saturday or Sunday, and then not leave until like 11, 11 30. So it was pretty crazy. I really enjoyed being a part of that team on Saturday and Sunday night. And we had, you know, I worked with Cheryl Scott. Like I loved working with Cheryl Scott, that's my homie. Like I loved working with Alicia Roman when Cheryl ended up leaving and going to to Channel 7 Lauren Jiggis like that's just my heart right there like she's just so incredible and Dick Johnson was the anchor Pete Sack shout out to Pete Sack too but Dick Johnson was the anchor on that like he was the veteran guy and at one point me Lauren and and Alicia like there and even when Cheryl was there like that's not a ton of TV experience compared to the guy that we were sitting on the desk with. I just really liked him because he had no reason at all to value my opinion on anything other than sports. And what I I used to really appreciate about him is that the way that he made me feel comfortable was by, like, asking a follow-up. Because I think that he realized that that was a place where I flourished. Like, I can read his teleprompter, but... I do live radio. So you can ask me a question and I have a response ready. So he would do that. And, and it made me feel more comfortable. It made me feel more comfortable in front of a camera. It made me feel more comfortable doing stuff with channel five. And I really looked forward to it. I would always see DJ in the makeup room. He had an office, right? So he had like a, corner office so I would I would always go and hang out over his office but I'd see him in the makeup room and he'd just be telling me stuff like he'd be giving me advice he'd walk me through some stuff he'd ask me about what's going on on the radio side that he'd tell me that he listened to certain interviews and why he thought I was a good interview and how I could get better it was really great and he did that with a lot of people like I'm not trying to make myself seem like I'm special. I just know that he made me feel special, and I I really appreciated that about him, that he was able to to pull all of us together, to keep it light when it it needed to be light, to do it seriously when it needed to be done seriously. This guy is a first-rate journalist, man. He is a first-rate journalist, and watching the way that he worked to perfect scripts and talking to everyone in the newsroom. And not a lot of people do that. Like there, there are a ton of anchors that don't spend any time with with the people in the newsroom or trying to foster team. And there are a bunch of people over there that did it. Like I thought it was, um, I thought it was poignant and and on time that Allison Rosati was the person that shared the news. And I've always loved her too, for some of the same reasons that I like Dick Johnson. You're not going to find a person whose on-air persona is as close to what they are in real life than Allison Rosati. That that warm person that you see on TV is exactly who she is when the lights go off and and the cameras go off. So having her read through the the obituary basically of Dick Johnson, uh, I was incredibly moved by that. It brought a tear to my eye as she was trying to hang on to not break apart while she's reading about her friend on the air. I thought Channel 5 overall did an incredible job with it. That's a hard thing to do, that you have to eulogize your colleague. And when it happened, like when we found out about it, it wasn't that that long before the, the news came on. So to be able to pull yourself together to do it. I thought was incredible and she belongs in that same category where this is someone who's an incredible journalist but a human being that cares about the people that are on her team and that's what I got and Dick Johnson made it easy to like him and he made it fun to do the news so I left right in 2014 I left Channel 5 because I had this crazy opportunity to go work at 120 Sports. And that was amazing. And I can just tell you that anchoring sports, and I didn't want to just keep working seven days a week. Like That was nuts. I don't know what I was doing. Of course, I then traded that for humping it five days a week where I'm doing a morning show and then a nighttime talk show. But I at least had my weekends free. And I, and I left, and I wouldn't say that it wasn't on bad terms. Like, I never liked to leave places on bad terms. I just knew that I wasn't going to be tapped to be the the full-time sports anchor. And quite honestly, the opportunity that was in front of me at 120 Sports was too good to pass, pass up. Like, it was... And I had a great two years there, and I met a lot of friends that... I still have today, and a lot of people that I put on the air, like Michael Kim and Laura Britt and, and Tyler and Saucy. It's just good folks over there. I, I root for those guys because they work really hard. The whole crew over there, and at, at now what is now Stadium Network. So they asked me in 2016, 2017, and this is after I think I had left Stadium or 120. Um they asked me to come in and anchor one night. And I was like, "Oh yeah, I don't care." Like that's that's one of the things about not leaving badly, you you get asked to come back. And it was with DJ and LJ and Alicia. And it couldn't have been more fun. Like I have pictures if you scroll through. Like I have this great picture of us at the anchor desk and DJ was the first person to see me when I came back and he gave me this huge hug. If you didn't know this, like Dick Johnson was a huge man. He's like 6'4. So he he basically enveloped me. And he was so, so happy to see me. He's like, oh, I've missed you around here. And it was just a great feeling. Like, and that feeling of being welcome was something that he was able to pull off all the time. And I appreciate that. So hearing that he passed away last week was just, it was horrific. Like, it just stopped me in my tracks. And all you can do, I was talking to my parents about this, because obviously they knew how much I, I cared about Dick Johnson. All you can do is try to take the best parts of people and add it to who you are. And so, for me, it's making sure that I try to mentor those who want to be mentored to. People who are willing to to take criticism and their incredible natural gifts and, and try to be better with a little bit of advice here and there. I'll miss DJ. Just no matter what. No matter what. Like, that guy was was on my side, and and I appreciated that level of support. And I think that Chicago is now down one great journalist. He would tell you that someone is eventually going to take his place. And I don't mean, like, just being on the news tonight. I mean, as a great journalist. Like, he cared about that. He cared about helping young journalists get better. And I appreciate that. He is a beloved colleague. His family just adored him. He adored his his children. And just... He loved DePaul, too. We used to joke about that because obviously I went to DePaul. And he went to DePaul. He loved that place. He loved what it did for him. He loved what... the All the great things that his family brought out of him. And he's just a good, good man. He will absolutely be missed. And I am... Very lucky to have known him. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Dick Johnson, gone way too soon.